welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. We are um, inviting you in this uh, series to reconsider who Jesus is and why he matters. I was talking to somebody I care about an awful lot over this last several weeks, a couple of different conversations, and she said, um, to be honest, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good with God. I, I get that, and I, and I, I, I work and, and, and have a sense of who the Holy Spirit is. I think that makes sense to me. I'm really struggling, though, with Jesus, and particularly having grown up in the church with what we have said about him, what we have, um, I'm using my language now, reduced him to, uh, what, what we use him for. Uh, and so this series is kind of born out of a hunger, a desire to re-invite relationship with the most fascinating, the most compelling, the most beautiful, the best man who ever walked on the earth. And to invite you to encounter him again for the first time. And to maybe kind of clear some of the cobwebs of our limited understanding. Because what happens is, I think, well-intentioned, but the church has reduced Jesus to somebody who was born to die for us so we could go to heaven. And the Gospels are very, very clear. No, 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 that's part of the story. But it is actually, to be honest, not even the most fascinating or important part of the story. Uh, God in Christ has come not to save us, but to restore the world. Uh, And therefore, Jesus, I mean, that, that, that part in the middle between Bethlehem and the cross, actually that part really matters an awful lot. And it's that that we want to look at uh, in this series. And so we've been playing around with this through particularly the Gospel of Luke. Darren, a couple of weeks ago, was in kind of Jesus' um, uh, mission statement uh, that he, he quoted from uh, Isaiah in, in Luke chapter 4, where he just says what he's about and why, he, why, why what he is doing is different than the expectations that even at that point people had had for him as Messiah. Um, And this this, um, theme that Jesus inaugurates then about a um, preference for the poor, a preference for the disenfranchised, a preference for uh, the the folks who have been left out is, is a continuing theme through the Gospel of Luke, including um, in, in, in Luke, women and children and uh, foreigners, immigrants, the people who the, the have been, for the most part, bypassed by the, by the, by the culture. And the, and the reason I think Jesus has this preferential uh, attitude, disposition towards folks like that is that those are the people with whom they are not for Jesus a project. They are not ones to whom he comes so he can fix and address them. They are in fact his people. They're the ones he comes to so that he can be with them. 
It is not for nothing that Jesus was born, as we mentioned before, to blue-collar workers in the middle of nowhere, um, unremarkable, and essentially labored with his hands and his back for 30 years. That's, that's, that is intentional in the story. And it's not unintentional that he labors in obscurity. Nobody knows him. Nobody finds him at all remarkable. When he stands up in that synagogue to speak, they look at each other befuddled. Isn't this, isn't this like Mary and Joseph's son? Isn't he the carpenter? What, who does he think he is? That is not insignificant. Um, and, and, and the reason I want to labor on, land on that for just a minute is because um, it, 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 in family systems theories, there is this kind of line that says the pain of the family system surfaces in the weakest member. So if there's brokenness somewhere in the system, it will find a way to the surface through uh, the designated problem, right? In society, in culture, the poor are the weakest, the most vulnerable members of the system that is clearly dysfunctional. So that means how we orient ourselves, how we treat the poor, how we how we regard them is a clear indicator of, of where we place our value, kingdom of heaven or kingdom of earth. So Jesus' preferential treatment of the poor, we'll talk a little bit about it, uh, is highlighted in the passage we look at. It's in Luke chapter 3, uh, verses 21 through, uh, uh, well, on, th- on through the end. Uh, so we'll pick it up actually at, at probably at verse 20 where he says this. Um, you, we haven't, we've been struggling with this, so um, trust me, this is what it says. <laughs> Unless you have a... There, we got it? Oh, good, thanks. Sorry about that. Uh, looking at his disciples, and I, I, this is important, looking at his disciples, so those whom he has called to represent him, listening in are the crowd who are around them. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. That's how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort Woe to you who are are well fed now. You you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now. You will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. This is a a challenging text in in all kinds of ways. as you can imagine. And, and I, 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 
um, been really kind of beat up by this text this past week in, at, in some important ways. This week is also a, in chapel. We had a week of pr- a time of prayer for uh, uh, against human trafficking. Uh, and that is an issue that just uh, strikes close to my heart. Uh, you talk about the exploitation, exploitation of the most vulnerable. And, and we need to be clear, while certainly there is a percentage of that that is about sex trafficking, men, women, and children, uh, sex trafficking, by far the majority of human trafficking has nothing to do with sexuality. It's forced labor. It's indentured service. It's slavery. Uh, for the benefit of uh, 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 about a tenth, a quarter of the world's population. Uh, and our, we're not that far. Our port here is a principal area in which persons are, are trafficked through. So that is kind of weighing heavily on my heart, uh, even as we look at this. Um, and I, I want you to notice that how Luke does this, I don't usually do this, but I think it's important to see how he emphasizes you'll have recognized in this passage a parallel to what we call the Beatitudes in the Gospel of Matthew. And I want you, if you're familiar with that tension, notice how Luke is using this version of the Beatitudes in contrast to how Matthew does it. Matthew is, has a different theological purpose for, um, for recording these. And look how Luke kind of uh, uh, adapts uh, his, uh, his writing for this purpose. Matthew says, for example, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who mourn, right? Luke gets rid of all of that part of it for his purposes. It's not blessed are those who are poor in spirit. It's blessed are those who are poor. He's talking about people who are literally in poverty. Blessed are those not who hunger and thirst after justice or righteousness. As blessed as those folks are, Luke says, no, no. Blessed are those who are hungry who go to bed at night not having had enough to eat for the day. We count calories with making sure that our 10,000 steps are met and there are people who have barely enough dumpster diving to keep body and soul together. Blessed are those people. Blessed are those not who mourn for the loss of loved ones, clearly they need to be blessed as well. But here Luke is saying, blessed are those who are so crushed by their own lives that their only response is tears. They are wrung out by their lives. By their lives. And part of what Luke is inviting us into here is this solidarity, this identity because these are the invisibles. These are the people that we, we drive by on the freeway off-ramp and make judgments about. And by we, I mean me. These are the, the folks that I hope I, I don't make eye contact with as I walk down the street. These are the ones, and by the way, these are the most visible of the invisible by far the majority of the persons that Jesus is speaking here, you will never encounter. 
never encounter. And in so doing, you miss the opportunity to encounter Jesus in his most distressing disguise. Blessed, he says, are you when you are hated, when you are excluded, when you are insulted, when you are rejected because of your allegiance to the Son of Man. So Jesus is turning the corner here just a little bit and inviting us not just into this general reflection on the nature of poverty or the nature of hunger, although that is worth noticing, and we'll talk about why that matters in a minute. He also wants to point out that there are people who are in those places and in those conditions purely and simply and only because they have aligned with him. They are citizens of the kingdom, and as a result of that, they have, been, they have lost their family connections. They have lost, in some instances, their jobs. Their homes have been taken from them. Their children have been removed from them. Documented cases throughout the early part of the history of the church of these kinds of things happening. They have lost their civil protections. And Jesus is saying to them, don't misunderstand these things as proof that you made a mistake by aligning with me. Don't misunderstand this pain or this tragedy or this difficulty as somehow proof that God has abandoned you or that you've done something wrong and this is the punishment. Indeed and in fact, you are blessed. Not in the future, even in this very moment. You are blessed. God is with you in the depths of your pain. So similar to the story John told, where were you, God? I was there with you. I was weeping there with you. In that very same vein, Jesus is saying, blessed are you because yours is now, current, present tense, the kingdom of God. Even in that moment, this is a current kingdom reality. Of course, we are still waiting for, for future fulfillment uh, we are still waiting for the kingdom to come in, in, in its fullness, but Jesus is pushing back against a misunderstanding that candidly still proliferates in the church today, and that is those who have are blessed and those who do not have have done something clearly wrong to result in that condition. And if I, can, if I, I am angry at, at chunks of our community who have made that a theology of prosperity. And whether we go that full length or not, I've got to be honest with my own soul search this week. There are still residual senses as I look at what I have, because candidly, I'm among the wealthy in the category that Jesus is talking about. I don't know what it's like to go to bed hungry. I don't, I'm 65 years old, I've never not had a roof over my head. Never. Never. And there is still some sense that it must, even though I know better, in my heart there's still some, ah. And those who not, they must have done something wrong. If I give them five bucks, they're going to spend it on something horrible. And I hear the spirit whisper, well, what are you going to spend it on? (laughs) 
You really think? I mean, anybody else with me on this? It's like, let's get this sermon over with as fast as possible. I mean, you know, you know what I mean? And, 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 and we're going to get into this in a minute. Uh, but, but, uh, but please notice here, here he is saying to these folks, look, guys, don't give up. This is, the, here's the image I had, and I, uh, maybe this is going to inform, call it the back end, and I know uh, because of the front and the service, we're, we're running tight on time, but bear with me on this. I, I, I was working through this and praying through this a little bit, and I'm, here's the image I got, that some of you feel that in the novel that is your life, in the story that is being written with you as the main character. Your story has taken a turn that you did not anticipate, that you do not appreciate, that has resulted in your story turning into some pretty dark and difficult things. And you want to say to the author of your story, what are you doing to me? And what I want you to hear as best I can is this. Your story's not over yet. Your story, no matter how dark, how difficult, how abandoned, how rejected you feel, even by your own family, I need you to hear this. Your story is not over yet. The author is working on an ending that will be satisfactory to you. So don't quit your own story. Hang in there. He's with you. He is he, he's, you're blessed not in the future when everything's better, but right now. There is, a, there is joy coming in the morning, but joy's got to get you to, to the morning. Right? There, there's, there, dig, dig, dig down deep to what it, wherever you, 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 you can and don't quit. Press on. There is this implicit encouragement not to quit. And this broadens out beyond poverty, beyond uh, hunger beyond weeping and, and just gets to the heart of all of the suffering we might have experienced. You had a, had a turn this week and got a diagnosis or a pink slip or one, one of your, uh, a sense of maybe even betrayal by a close friend and you just think, what in the world? Who is in charge here? Can I talk to somebody else? And I think part of what I want to say is, 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 is hang in there. Don't quit. Your current condition is not punishment. It's not proof that God has abandoned you. It's the place at which God seeks to meet you. The other piece that I want to underline here is that Jesus is not celebrating or, even, or clearly not advocating for poverty. Poor people are not necessarily more spiritual than those who are not poor. What he's after here is the realization is that poor people have recognized they have no other hope and no other resource. If the kingdom doesn't come, they're screwed. And that kind of clearing the decks of other resources is what enables a leaning in at deep and profound levels because they don't have all of the distractions that many of the rest of us do, that everything's going to be okay when at the gut level we know not so much. So then Jesus goes on and says to them, rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, because great is your reward in the heavens, speaking of the, of the future promise. So presence in the moment, promise in the, into the future, and he wants them to connect 
at a level of solidarity with this is how people treated the prophets. This is how people, and, and remember, a lot of the prophetic um, pronouncement in the Old Testament was not the words that they spoke, but the lifestyle that the prophets lived, right? So, so part of what Jesus is saying is, look, guys, your lifestyle, your poverty is an indictment. It is a statement of judgment on the cultures in which you live. It ought not be. Your poverty, in other words, is a prophetic statement your being bereft of comfort and hope and the way you carry your pain is a prophetic word and it is a, an embarrassing and shameful thing that a culture as sophisticated as ours has outcomes like this. And they rejected those prophets too. So don't be surprised if they move you out of your encampment. Don't be surprised if they projectize you. Don't be surprised if you're further marginalized out of the neighborhood. That's what's going to happen. Anybody else uncomfortable? Oh, by the way, just while I'm at this, the prophets were rejected for the message they spoke, not for being obnoxious. So don't misunderstand being treated like a jerk because you're a jerk <laughs> for persecution. It's not persecution, you're a jerk. <laughs> ever, ever, okay, does that make sense? Okay. Um, and of course, Jesus says rejoice. Why? Because joy is Jesus' strategy for getting through hell and, 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 and back. Joy is the capacity for life as it actually happens. It's not happy. It's not put on a happy, that's not what he's saying. You guys got to dig down deep to the reality of the resurrection, to the reality of Easter weekend. That's where your joy is going to come from, and that's what will enable you to get through the day. That's what he's after here. So it's a strategy. And then you can hear his heartbreak because I, 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 I have started to read this in slightly different ways in verse 24 and following than I have before. I had, had kind of in my head thinking that what he was doing here was in some ways pronouncing a curse. But what he is in fact saying is, and, and I, so I had to do some back work on this, is, is Jesus isn't pronouncing a curse. He's describing an outcome. And his heart is broken. You'll notice his language here. Woe to you who are rich. Why? Because you've already got everything you need. Your hands are not empty enough to receive the kingdom. Woe, my heart is broken for you who are well fed now. Because you don't know the first thing about real food that will sustain you into and through eternity. Woe to you who laugh now. Because you are going to find yourself mourning and weeping. 
Woe to you when everybody speaks well of you. Because that's how their ancestors treated the false prophets. A couple of core things that Jesus is addressing here. One is those who are wealthy, those who have become rich by exploitation of the poor. This is a theme that runs throughout the Old Testament prophets over and over and over again. Uh, they are most concerned about how God's people have leveraged their position uh, uh, to, to advantage at the disadvantage of others, particularly uh, the, the vulnerable, particularly the immigrant, particularly the stranger, the foreigner, the sojourner. And in so doing, they have violated God's plans and purposes for how the thing ought to actually work. Israel was supposed to be the people through whom God would bless the nations. And instead, Israel became the people who clung to the blessings and used it to further their advantage over even the poor in their midst. So first, those who have become rich by exploiting or taking advantage of the poor. Second, those who are rich and have now become, as a result, self-reliant. Self-reliant, which disables them, in this case, from life in the kingdom. They're not going to be ready for the dramatic reversal of realities when the kingdom comes and all of the values are turned upside down. Right? Because this, this is what he's arguing. When the kingdom comes and, and, and the economy shifts in a moment with the king's full uh, uh, display of his... his it, it will not matter how much treasure you have where moths and rust and thieves break in. It will not matter. How, how, how much money you've got in that treasury. The only thing that will matter is how much resource you have in this treasury. Because, I mean, you know this, some of you have lived through, um, my, my, my dad, a classic example of this, my dad, I'll use this example, uh, uh, lived through the Great Depression of the 30s, right? His whole life was marked by that depression. He, can still, he could still tell you uh, where he was when the stock market collapsed, right? And, and people were jumping out of buildings because they had lost hope as a result of the stock market collapse. I, I, and we, I get it, I get it, but that affected how my dad lived his whole life, his whole life. And, and people who have suffered that kind of trauma uh, kind of, we need to pay attention to what he's saying here. Because Jesus is saying, there's coming a time when the economy of this world will be completely right side up. Right now it's upside down. Right now it leverages to the advantage of those who already have. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer, and the people who were in the middle are beginning to, to, to find themselves steadily drifting south. Right? And, and, and Jesus is saying, look, it, it, no, it, it, nothing wrong. This isn't actually at the end of the day about how much money you have in your account. It's about where your treasure is, where you've invested your heart. Because where Jesus says your treasure is, there will your heart be. Not that's a destination of where you're going to end up. That's where it is right now. Right now. So, so Jesus Jesus is, is inviting us to consider 
whether we have become self-reliant, whether we don't need to pray because we have 911, when we don't need a community because we have a, 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 a life alert of some kind. Do, do you know? Where, where, where the resources of community, where the resources of the kingdom are unnecessary because we have leveraged ourselves in all kinds of ways to make sure we never, never need anybody or anything but what we can already supply and provide. And he's warning them, this is the very condition that sets you up for destruction. Very condition that sets you up for destruction. Now, I need to say this, if nothing else, for my own sake. Jesus is not opposed to, having, to people having money. Jesus is not opposed to people having significant resources. In fact, his mission, as you, we will discover in Luke, was funded by wealthy people. The reason we have the Gospel of Luke is because a wealthy man named Theophilus paid somebody to research and write the book. He's not opposed to that. The issue is, how did you get it? And if you got it, remember the story of Zacchaeus? Luke chapter 19, which we'll get to. If you got it by exploiting the poor, you now know what to do with it. At the very least, uh, pay attention to the, I mean, one of the things that's convicted me lately, I'm kind of bleeding out all over you this morning, I'm sorry. But this has been a tough week in this regard. Is how persistently I pursue the single best price on anything I buy without consideration of what it was that drove that price down. You want to talk human trafficking? That's what drives it. That's what drives it. And I know all kinds of things, all kinds of things, all kinds of things everywhere, all kinds of things. <laughs> um, Jude and I, a couple of weeks ago, watched a uh, documentary, uh, maybe you've seen it on, on Netflix, called Rotten. If you haven't, it, it, it would be worthwhile. Don't, don't watch it before you go to bed at night. Um, but it, it, is, it is just a, a, a series of what, what happens when a culture privileges one over another? What happens? And how, what are the ripple effects to uh, our, for example, 24-7 demand for fresh avocados? Is one of the episodes. And the ripple effect is a water shortage in Peru. And the shortage of water is not for the production of avocados so that I can have my toast. It's for the poor who have no political power to access resources that nature has provided them in their own backyard. Um, it's an intractable problem for which we pray, O oh God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Knowing that I need to stop contributing at the least, stop contributing to the issues. Yeah? So, 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 
he's not opposed to that. He, he wants us to think through what, what we do with it um, and, and uh, our, our resources. And in this, in, in, in calling this out, Jesus is stepping into the role of the king. Remember in ancient Israel, the king was responsible for the care of the poor. The king was responsible for the maintaining the system of gleaning. The king was responsible for the, 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 the Sabbath. And, and the reason the kings fell into um, uh, uh, judgment was because they didn't pursue their role. The, they were supposed to be the shepherd of Israel and failed to do that. And so in Ezekiel, God says, finally, look, I am tired of you people being, calling yourselves shepherds and not actually providing for the flock, not actually caring for my people. So I'm gonna come and do it myself. Guess who Jesus identified himself then as? I am the good shepherd, the one that you had anticipated, God coming to shepherd his people, that's me, that's me. So. Darren alluded to this in, in Luke chapter four when Jesus does his inaugural speech. He is talking, if you will, about this year of jubilee, this year of restoration. You remember what year of jubilee was. The year of jubilee was every 50 years, all of the pieces go back into the box and they get redistributed to everybody equally. I, I, I read with um, amusement a debate was Jesus a socialist? Particularly relevant given the culture of our election year cycle this year. And the answer is, are you kidding me? <laughs> Jesus was not a socialist. Jesus was a king. Jesus was a king who took seriously and takes seriously his responsibility to provide for the least of these whom he regards as his brothers and sisters as his family. So guess what we who are disciples of the king ought have as one of the primary drivers of our soul? Jesus' strategy is built on this massive redistribution of wealth every 50 years. Because he knows. And, and took advantage of. There are people who are gifted to make money. God bless you. I'm serious. We've talked about a culture of an entrepreneurship in the garden, and I want to encourage it. I want to celebrate it. I want to say to you, as you if you have this ability, if you have the ability to build a business or to uh, build a brand or to acquire wealth, God bless you. We need you in the kingdom. We desperately need you in the kingdom. But can I just ask you to remember whose it is, where it came from, and what he wants you to do with it. And it's not about giving everything away all the time. There's nothing more spiritual about poverty than about wealth, necessarily. But it is an invitation to stewardship. It's an invitation to consider, especially in a culture like ours, that wealth still has the power to change the course of society and culture. Um, so this is, for me at least, an, an implicit call to repentance and to identification. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.